Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. And in this episode of Highest Aspirations, we concentrate on that portion of multilingual learners who are born in the United States, which is actually the largest portion of multilingual learners that we serve in this country. Welcome to part two of our two-part series, exploring the challenges that U.S.-born children of immigrants face when navigating their K-12 and higher education journeys. In part one, we spoke with sociologist, author, and professor Dr. Joanna Drebbe about the work she has been doing with English learners born in the United States, as I said, a group that makes up the majority of multilingual learners in this country. In this episode, we talk with three undergraduate and graduate students who experienced these challenges firsthand. They also worked closely with Dr. Drebbe on her research, an experience that had a profound impact on each of them. You'll hear more about that in their courageous and transparent interviews. Most importantly, these interviews will provide listeners with a valuable firsthand look uh, at how they can better serve these students in their particular schools. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to remind you that the interview you're about to hear is just one part of our exploration of this topic, which is a really important one. You'll find multimedia resources, including a transcript of this episode and really all our interviews with guests on this series, accompanying blog posts, videos, collaboration opportunities, and much more on our learning community. I want to also let people know that our Elevation Scholarship is available. The information is available there on how to apply. You can visit bit.ly slash getmlresources for more information. And of course, you can just Google Elevation Education and find us there. Our community resources are always free and available when you need them. Just use the search bar or filters to find the resources you are looking for. In the meantime, we hope that you enjoy this episode featuring Ileana Perez, Rachel Lim, and Falmari Rojas Barrios. They were truly inspirational. As always, thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. The common thread in the three conversations we had with students who were English learners born in the United States was the feeling of having to navigate their academic experiences on their own. Ileana Perez is a student at the University of Albany. After she graduates, she plans to go to law school where she will pursue a career as an immigration lawyer. She grew up in Amityville, Long Island, where she graduated from Farmington Senior High School. Her parents are from El Salvador. And while her father is progressing in becoming a permanent resident, her mother is still undocumented. I think for me, the biggest challenge was always uncertainty and kind of the unknown that I'm the oldest. I don't have anyone really. I don't have any older cousins that kind of went through like the same things that I went through. So I'm pretty much alone in that sense. And even though I could get emotional support from my parents, they don't understand exactly like the American school system they don't understand like things that I feel like non-immigrant families would typically just think of it as something normal like I had to I pretty much just to figure everything out by myself because I remember taking AP classes college classes and just um like all these like kind of like exams kind of thing in um in high school and I felt like I was, I didn't know what I was doing half the time, like in form of like applying and um, like paying and all that kind of stuff. I just felt that I, I felt like I didn't have anyone that I could really like lean on in a way. And it hit even harder when I was going through uh, college applications, Mm -hmm. because that's when I realized that, wow, 
I'm actually going to college. I'm doing this. Something that my parents, they went to college, but they didn't finish. And it was a different system because they went to um, college in uh, El Salvador, which is where they're from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like that's especially when it hit me harder. And I realized that, wow, I'm really going into, especially now I'm going into something that is completely unknown to them. Rachel Lim is a first-generation Asian-American student who grew up in Queens and graduated from Francis Lewis High School, part of the New York City school system. Her parents immigrated to the United States from Malaysia. She graduated from the University of Albany in December 2021. She hopes to attend graduate school to become a social worker. Rachel says that her parents, despite their best intentions, simply didn't understand the way the school system worked which meant she needed to take full responsibility for her education and even the education of her younger siblings, particularly when it came to applying for college. My parents, I guess, within like the school system, they didn't really understand the school system here. So I think that was one of the things they're like, okay, how do I apply for schools? How do I make sure that, you know, I'm getting the grades that I need, taking the tests I need? to be on the same playing field as everyone else and getting the same grades as everyone else and what was considered a good grade and what was considered like a bad grade. My brother right now, he's applying to college. And I guess since my parents think, okay, I went through the process of applying to college and I did all that, that I should be able to help my brother out and apply to college, apply to college basically for him. I think applying to college is actually a big like, learning process and it's a very, it's a big character development. When you apply to college, um, especially in a New York City school, there's no one holding your hand along the way. Right. I feel like that's what college is. No one's going to hold your hand along the way to help you apply for college. You have to do, like, I mean, for classes in college, like, no one's going to hold your hand through the courses. You have to actually figure stuff out on your own. Make sure you attend class. No one's going to be on you about attending class. You have to do it on your own. And, like, there was, I pushed for my brother to do it on his own, to learn uh, to do it on his own. And I would do the same thing for my sister, push for them to do it on their own. And if they have ever had any questions, I said, you can always come to me. But for my parents, they see it as like, I should help them out because to make it, to basically lift the burden on them and make it easier for them. Falmari Rojas Barrios is a first-generation student whose parents immigrated to the United States from Mexico. She grew up in Yonkers, Westchester, New York, but also lived in Mexico from the ages of 13 to almost 17. She graduated from Yonkers Montessori Academy in 2017. Famati's mother never achieved legal status in the almost 20 years she resided in the United States, and she was finally deported in 2013. Currently, Famati is an up-and-coming first-year graduate student at the State University of New York at Albany. She also works full-time at Albany Medical Center. In the future, she hopes to earn a master's and hopefully a PhD in Latin American, Caribbean, and Latinx studies. She hopes to become a college professor, as well as an independent researcher and an indigenous, black, animal, and environmental activist. She also hopes to get her mother citizenship in the United States. As you'll hear, she was frequently encouraged to hide her identity, both as an American and a Mexican. While this was her mother's way of protecting her family, it had a profound impact on her social-emotional well-being in and out of school. Uh, Being here in the States, I was always told, don't tell anybody that your mom doesn't speak English or your mom doesn't, like, your mom doesn't have papers. Don't tell nobody your, um, your, your family's status. So that made me into a really shy person. 
um, didn't form relationships with my classmates or with my teachers. I was very shy. And then once I was in Mexico, same thing. Don't tell people you're American. Try to speak Spanish the best you can. You can't speak English. Um, in school, don't you dare tell anybody that you're not from Mexico, that you're, like, that you're from the States because then they're gonna try to kidnap you and try to get money. So it was always hiding half of my identity in school. When I was in Mexico, I actually wanted to go to like stay and do my university in Mexico, finish high school. But because of um, economic reasons, uh, I always knew that I was gonna have to come back to the United States for college because public schools here, loans and all that stuff uh, made it a lot easier for me to go, to go to school. So um, even though I felt a lot more comfortable in Mexico hiding my American identity, I always knew I would have to come to this side of the border and um, learn how to like um, identify myself here mm. in, in the United States. It, you know, it sounds, I don't know another word to explain it. It sounds exhausting, especially for a young person trying to, and, and you know, I think we talk a lot about, uh, in an education, we talk about this kind of search for identity. And we mostly are looking at it from the perspective of a student who's come from another country or doesn't even come from another country, but has parents who are immigrants, and then trying to figure out what their identity is like at home in the United States and what their identity is like at school, which is hard enough. But what you're talking about is having to switch not only school and home in the United States, but school and home in Mexico. And then, I mean, that must, I can't even imagine the toll that it must have taken on you as a young person. Ileana Perez was very transparent about how her parents' immigration status weighed on her. So my father currently is documented. He's still in the process, but he has his social security, he has a driver's license, he owns a house, he has a good job. So he's pretty well off. And my mother, on the other hand, is undocumented. She works, but she doesn't have any like proper documentation. And that has always been a scary thing for us because of the thing that like, she works in a job where there's a lot of like Hispanics so when if if it were to happen which it can happen at any time anywhere ice raids they would target places where it is very common to have immigrants and i know that her job is like one that is pretty much all immigrants hispanic uh, all over central america um the caribbean so yeah um that was always a big like kind of fear for me at 13 years old falmati knew her mother who struggled with substance abuse and depression, was going to be deported. She talks very candidly about the effect that experience has had on her, including an ongoing battle with anxiety and trouble sleeping. And I have uh, extreme anxiety. Um, I, I, for as long as I can remember, I remember my mom telling me like to just breathe, to just live in the moment and like stop thinking 10 years ahead. Cause that was that that was me. I since I think since I knew my mom was getting deported at 13, I was like, okay, I'm leaving to Mexico right now, but like I have to start planning for one in 10 years, in five years when I have to go to college or and stuff like that. Like, so it is really exhausting. Like I don't I've had trouble sleeping forever since ever. And um I have to look good for my mom because she, um, I had to hide that part of my anxiety because that part of also me, because if I showed her, I was so stressed out and that I was um, so unhappy. 
it was just gonna cause a bigger toll on her. Something that like I always wanted to avoid. My mom is an amazing mother. She did the best she could, uh, but she was over emotional sometimes, and I felt it, even though she tried to hide it. So that's another thing that I also had to overcome: how to put my emotions aside because I know if I, um, if I would show her all of my discomfort, she was gonna break down even more. So like learning how to regulate my emotions, something that I am really bad at. I had to learn with my mom because she uh she has she doesn't she's not that um well trained I guess to like regulate her emotions. Um drug addiction has it's is strong in my family. So um that's another uh barrier I had to overcome like I would never want it to be like my mom because of that, because mm -hmm. of, um, so just always, like, I always told her, like, I'm the adult, like, you're, you're my child, like, why, like, and that's another thing, like, having to deal with the responsibility of my parents' depression, my parents' drug addiction, up, um, before and after being deported, um, I couldn't be, like, a teenager, I couldn't, I should be coming home drunk and getting yelled at, but instead it was my mom. Mm. Ileana says she's still trying to heal as a result of knowing that her father could be taken away from her at any moment. Actually, um, as I mentioned, my dad, he's like, he has his documents and everything now, but it wasn't always like that. It, as long as I can remember, it's always been a struggle. Like he's been dealing with lawyers and the court system for, for so many years now. And I do remember there was an incident and I'll always remember this incident because it, it really hurt my family. And I think because of that, it took me a while to get used to everything. And it was like the fear of like, oh my God, he could be taken away at any second now. And mm. I think now I'm kind of like healing, I guess, in a way from that. So I think that's the most thing that had like kept me in that fear. The constant media coverage of deportations during the 2016 election triggered Rachel Lim's fear of losing her parents. She then became intimately involved with her parents' court appearances and even acted as their sponsor, all while navigating her freshman year of college. It was election year, and the word deportation was getting thrown around a lot, and especially over media. There was a lot of, I guess, people showing like deportation cases, and just that word was getting thrown out there a lot. And I knew my parents weren't citizens, they didn't have like green cards. Um, they so basically when they came here they were on a travel visa they overstayed their visa basically my freshman year of college my mom tells me I need to write a letter about why she shouldn't get deported and mind you I just came up to Albany I was just so it was my first like month into school it wasn't easy writing that letter because now I had to actually sit and think about like okay what's going to happen if my parents get deported. I was only 18 and my siblings were like my sister was still in middle school my brother was just starting high school like what's going to happen to us does that mean like I'm this is it um, this is the end of my college career until like you know until I can figure stuff out with my parents or like what's going on um and then there was also this responsibility my parents wanted to apply for the green card, so they needed a sponsor. And since I'm a US citizen, I could have sponsored them, but I needed to wait till I was 21. 
So there was just this long wait, like long waiting game of me turning 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents had paperwork prepared and everything ready for the, for the day that I turned 21, they could submit the paperwork. But other than that, it's, it's been a long waiting game of like, what's going to happen next? Falmati remembers spending much of her childhood advocating for her mother by writing letters, appearing in courts, and going to AA meetings, all so that she wouldn't get deported. This was all before she turned 13 years old. She recently found the letters she wrote at a very young age and decided to reread them. So the, my mom's lawyer, when I was, because uh, apparently my mom says that she's had the deportation order for um really long even before she I got we got the official letter she she knew for a really long time that she was gonna get deported and uh so throughout the years we were writing letters to the court showing up at court uh pleading for my mom not to be deported advocating for her that she's a good mother going with her to her um AA meetings so like uh just to prove that she's a good mother and this is before and, you were this is before you were 13 right Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, just ha- like I reread some of the letters recently, like a year ago, like that I wrote when I was 10 and 11. Wow. And it really breaks my heart because like I can just imagine, like I don't remember too much of that time period. I don't remember writing those letters. And um, but it's my handwriting. <laughs> uh, so I, I have a really bad memory. So I think it's just, a response from all the stuff I've um, had to do. So like reopening those letters, it like gave me a flashback of how I used to feel when I was writing them. Like why I used to like ask myself, why do I have to plead for my mom to stay? Like she's a good mother. There's real criminals out there. And um, there's real criminals out there. Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, like the anxiety, doing all that stuff when I was younger and me knowing I don't know how to write very well like I read read I read them and I'm like why didn't anybody check these letters before they took them to court why didn't I have any grammar and it just reminded me of how hard it was for me to even communicate to people and I'm over here advocating for my mom when I don't even know how to communicate yet um or I was just not learning mm-hmm. so even that caused even more anxiety because when people don't understand me today, like if I talk too quick or they don't catch what I said, it gives me a rage. It just like boils my 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 blood. It's something unbearable that I don't stand. Even though it's not that person's fault, maybe I am speaking too quick. Maybe I did um, stutter or I did um, say something wrong. It, I feel like it's just a response of like communicating to them, writing to the judge, to the lawyers, and them still not hearing me, and I'm still getting reported. After working with Dr. Joanna Drebby on a project relating to immigration, Ileana decided to pursue a career as an immigration lawyer. So I didn't realize that I wanted to become an immigration lawyer until, honestly, after talking with Joanna, because we she had interviewed me as part of, like, to become one of the transcripts. And we had talked, and I realized the way that I talk about immigration and just the way that I'm like so interested in it I'm like why can't I make this my career like I just want to help families like that's another big thing for me I'm interested in the policies of course but I think more of the emotional connection to it is 
keeping families together and making sure that children like me don't lose their parents and that they're able to they're able to just live out their dreams and do what they want to do and help parents achieve, I guess, the American dream that I feel like is kind of lost nowadays. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really hope to do. Falmati made a personal connection with the materials she started reading in a course on international migration and transnationalism. This was the beginning of a promising new path for her and an affirmation of her identity as a Mexican-American. Dr. Jarno Drevi has been, um, I feel like, a lifesaver for me because I was in uh, an immigrate. It was my first Latin American Caribbean class I ever took. Um, and it was called International Migration and Transnationalism. So I, I like perfect for you. The title. Perfect <laughs> for me. Exactly. I'm looking perfect. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. And I'm sitting in the class and um, the professor, Dr. Macias, um, Macias uh, he was working with Dr. Drevi um, on this project and uh, he asked us for a reflection paper and he got to know a little bit of my story through classes and he reached out to me and I reached out to him even to, like at first because I was reading a bunch of material and I'm like wait this I lived through this there's terms to what I lived through I'm not the only one like people are writing about it people are studying it like wow so I reached, you know, I reached what, out to him what you're saying right now I'm sorry to interrupt but this is so important like you you start to read research right that people are doing and you said you made a connection. You said, this is me. And there are other people like me. And like that, there's such a divide at times between this research that these amazing people are doing and the people that they're actually researching, right? So like bridging that gap. And I, I just think it's so special. I think it's, I think you're clearly in the right place at the right time to kind of get on this path. And we just need more of that to be happening, you know, more frequently. But anyway, I apologize for interrupting. No, I completely agree. I wish it would have happened sooner because it was my senior year of college. And I am a, I graduated with a bio degree and now Congratulations, get, by the way. thank you. Thank you. And, but now since that class, literally since that class, I have decided to apply to a PhD program in Spanish with the concentration of Latin American Caribbean studies. Amazing. So, um, thank you. So it was a complete turning point. Like, I, I feel like I found like, I belong here. Like, you know, um, I am a Mexican American there's many people like me and um, I have a title. I have an identity. I'm just not, the, I'm not only the daughter of an immigrant. I'm like, I'm not just an American in Mexico who, even though I am Mexican, they, from the way I speak, they call me bocha or they call me, um, you know, uh, ter- like that I'm American. I'm not Mexican enough. Mm-hmm. So um, finding Dr. Drevi and uh, she encouraged me a lot to um, write, uh, right, what I, like my experiences, and uh, she always made sure to make me feel like the center of the attention. One when, when she was doing her work, she said that she was only um facilitating my voice to be heard, and um, I think that was amazing. Uh, she, I think she worked with me really perfectly and gave me that comfort that um, I'm not just being. So that's another case, another sad case to the public and like a trauma experience. This is like talking about it in politics, like, oh my goodness, look at these little immigrant children. They don't even know how to socialize. No, I, I didn't feel like that. She gave me so much power, so much validation. 
Rachel reports that she didn't know what she was getting into when she started working with Dr. Drevy. She grew to appreciate the importance of telling stories about young people who have experienced similar challenges and how those stories could help others, both academically and emotionally. This project, I didn't know what I was getting into when I stepped into this project. I didn't know how much stories I would be reading, how much of like, how many like other people's stories of migration, how much I would actually relate to all these stories. I actually wasn't very sure what I was getting into, but once I was in, I was in. I was in it for about two years or as long as I could like, they would allow me to be in it. As like many times as they would let me. And I've, I actually, I think like the work that she's doing is incredible because she's allowing, I guess, the younger generation to have a voice the younger generation have a voice in this like big thing of immigration and like what their stories and the impacts and like I feel like a lot of it does get overlooked a lot of our stories get passed over because we're not like adults we don't they don't see us at like how immigration does impact us how there is long-term effects how we do have worries that we think about constantly it's not just an adult thing. We're finding things that could possibly help future immigrants or like future first generation like Americans. And this could be beneficial for them in the future so they feel like they're not alone. And like we can find ways to help them not only like I guess academically or like but like more mental and emotionally. You have an audience here of people who are listening. Most people who listen to this podcast are teachers or they're um, administrators or specialists who are working with multilingual learners. And of course, that's not a homogeneous group. That's a group made up of lots of different people from lots of different places with lots of different circumstances. But one of the, you know, there's, there are certainly people like you um, who these, these students are, are working with. What would you like them to know about uh, those students and students who have experienced things that you have? And what can they do to help ensure that those students reach their highest uh, potential and get what they need as soon as possible? I think that something that's really important for them to just always understand is that school is very important to them. But when they have an off day or they're just not feeling the best, it might be because they're going through something and the fear of deportation, the fear that their parents are gonna leave them and they're just gonna be uprooted out of everything that they've only known. I just feel like they just need to keep that understanding. They don't necessarily have to seek out to speak to them because a lot of us don't like to talk about it, especially like just randomly. And this like this, this is very like, this is one of the first few times I'm speaking about it, but I know it's for a good purpose. So I just feel like they just need to understand and be aware that it's not always going to be perfect and that children are always going to be going through something. Ileana reminds us to be empathetic toward challenges students like her are facing. Just talk to them and give them guidance. I believe because for me, I always wish that I had more guidance and just more explanation out of, for everything. So I feel like teachers could always try to offer, ask and see if they can give them a little more guidance or even talk to their parents and explain to them, have like a meeting, sit down with the family and just try to make them understand how things work and how 
they can support the children in a better way or just let them know that this path is difficult but it it is possible and just that's just that more give more information just talk to them because that's all I mean we don't even need them to like like show them or anything but because we'll figure it out on our own but I just feel like that guidance and that support to know that okay I can lean on this person is really important being disengaged from academics is often the result of pain, stress, and trust issues that students like Falmati experience every day. She reminds educators to never give up on them. So I would definitely like to say, um, personally for me, I was told that I was always floating. Like I was always out of it. I was always in the clouds. I was never on earth. That's what I would hear from my family, from the teachers. on You're dis- disengaged. Before. Yeah, I was yeah. very disengaged. And um, I would say, like, don't give up on us. Like, yeah, we're disengaged. Um, we were forced to because the pain is too much. The stress is too much that we mentally disengage. And doesn't mean that we're slow or that we don't have aspirations or that we don't know what we want. Just means that personally for me, and I can imagine for many others, it just, I didn't know if I was, um, able to think like that we have trust issues like yeah <laughs> we're told not to not to trust people um and I would just like for um people to or um like school like educators just to understand us a little bit more and to not give up on us to have patience um to teach us our culture and our history I think that's really really important I think we all have the right to know where we came from and how we got to where we got for how painful, no matter how painful our history is, but I think we all have the right to know because I feel like um, I disassociated myself from school so much because I remember just closing my text, my history textbook, my social studies textbook and hating read, like when it was my turn to read or something, I hated it because I'm like, they don't look like me. Like, yeah, yeah. none of these people look like me, why? Where, 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 where am I from? Like, I know I'm from the from the other side, but like, why is my history not here? Um, so I think just learning our his teaching our history. You said advocate. I'm gonna push you a little bit. What what is that? Like, what that's a big word. It's a very general word. Give me like one to three ways, aside from establishing a relationship, that a teacher can advocate for you. Okay, so I work at a daycare. And I work with like infants. Infants can't talk. Infants can't tell you what they need, what they want, or whatever. So I spent a lot of time. A lot of like like kids that I had, they were overstaying in that classroom. Basically, like they were in that classroom for too long, and I knew that they were in that classroom too for too long. So they weren't developing. They weren't growing in the pace that they needed to be. A lot of times, it just meant telling like the director, like, hey. I need these kids out of my class. They need to be elsewhere. They need to be not with me. They need to be pushed, pushed to, you know, because being around other kids who are growing and developing will help them grow and develop such as skills such as like they're not crawling anymore. They're walking now. Like it's like little things like that. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's like that push is what like they need in order to get them to grow. So if to like revert it back to like, I guess, high school or middle school level. It's like, you can see a student, like she seems bored out of her mind. 
because like she's tired of reading this page page to page like push for her to be put in a different class push for her to be put in a different class so she can grow tell her about the other classes that are there like AP classes help her apply for AP classes that type of thing and so we come back to the beginning Ileana, Falmati, and Rachel have all highlighted the importance of establishing and nurturing trusting relationships with our students. It can be tempting to chase the newest lesson plan or the shiniest new tech tool to use in class, but without trust, teaching and learning become unnecessarily complicated. A special thanks to our guests, Falmati Rojas Barrios, Rachel Lim, and Ileana Perez for courageously sharing their experiences and ideas. They truly represent our mission to help all English learners achieve their highest aspirations. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.